let us pray before we start this morning. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you that I can submit myself afresh and anew to you today. Come and do in and through me what you need to have done so that your word can be ministered without any hindrance or any outside force. I pray that by the Spirit of God, as the word goes forth, demonstration will be the only manifestation in Jesus' mighty name. Come and have your will and have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. We all agree and say amen and amen. So this morning, the title of my sermon is very simple. It's kingdom life. Amen. It's kingdom life. God's original intention and purpose for mankind was kingdom. God's original intention and purpose for mankind was kingdom. If you go with me to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, it says, Then God said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Stay on 26. It says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So you've heard the scripture over and over before in this ministry. Amen. Because when you're made in the image and the likeness of God, it speaks of the exact duplicate of kind. You were made out of the very DNA of God. Amen. The same image. When God made mankind in the beginning, he saw a being that looked like him. Are you with me? And not only that, he placed on the inside of that being the seed and the potential to function like him. Because likeness deals with your ability to function. So God makes a being that is an offspring of who he is, that is birthed as a family in the earth, amen, and this offspring looks like him and has the same potential and power like him in their functionality in the earth. And then he says, let them have dominion. The word dominion, as you know in this ministry, it comes from the word rada, which is to rule, to reign, to have rulership. So he says, let them rule and reign as kings over this domain called the earth. He says, I'm going to make them like me, because God's a king in heaven. He says, I'm going to make them like me with the same potential, the same image, from the same DNA. I'm going to put them in this place called earth, and I'm going to give them the mandate to have dominion, to establish kingdom, my extension from where I am in heaven, kingdom in the earth. Amen. So when God comes to the scene and his original intention to, with mankind was not to create Christianity. It was not about the religion. There's no religion there. Very quiet. There's no, there's no religion there. There's no Christian. God didn't make Adam wasn't a Christian. He was a citizen. He was a son of the Most High God. He created a family. And so when God makes Adam and births Adam, he establishes kingdom. And if you go to Genesis chapter 2, you, speak about, you see about the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was a place of voluptuous living. And a place, if you go and read, it was like every resource needed. Every, it was peaceful. The presence of God was there. It was the place where, where heaven touched earth. Amen. It was the full manifestation of the kingdom in the earth. Are you with me? And that is the environment that this man was designed to live in. So when God says have dominion and God says increase, be fruitful, multiply, it wasn't just about babies. It was to take what was in this place and spread it across the earth and make the whole earth like the Garden of Eden. So when you look at the Garden of Eden and what took place in the Garden of Eden, it was a direct manifestation of the kingdom of heaven in the earth. And that was God's intention. But of course, we all know that Adam made a bloops in Genesis chapter 3. Don't judge him. So I'll, I'll, the thing is for me, I wouldn't want to be that guy. You know what I'm saying? And Brian ate of the fruit. Uh, so 
We feel for you, Adam. We're with you, my brother. You know you're with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But he carried that burden and he's recorded forever. But they made a mistake. They committed high treason. They went against the will of God, the plan and the purpose of God. And when that happened, they lost two things. One, they lost their identity in terms of their family. They were separated from God. And number two is they lost the kingdom. Are you with me? They lost the kingdom. And then God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to send a seed that's going to come to destroy you. And it was a capital S, and that was speaking of the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, I'm just laying a foundation this morning of understanding. When Jesus comes onto the scene and comes back onto the scene, when we look at the life of Jesus, we come to see that what Jesus came to preach. Jesus never preached Christianity. He never preached being born again. Jesse. Not once did he preach to the crowds about being born again. Not once. It's not recorded in the Gospels. Not once did he preach to the crowds about being born again. In fact, the only place that you see him speaking about being born again was in, uh, it's in the book of John, I think, John chapter 3, where he speaks to uh, um, Nick at night. What's his name? Nicodemus. He comes to him at night, late at night, a scholar of the word. And he says to him, how are you doing this? And he says, no, because the kingdom, he says, okay, how do we get into the kingdom? He says, you must be born again. For what? For the purpose of entering into the kingdom. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4 verse, 7, 4, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, in my Bible, if I read, in, if I go into my, well, I say my Bible, it's an online Bible, so don't judge me. But from verse 12, it starts to speak, it says, a heading as a subtitle, it says, The beginning of Jesus' ministry. And you're reading about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. What's the first thing he preached? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is there, not born again. I'm not saying you mustn't be born again. We come in there. Just relax. Don't go back to a pastor and say, this man is talking heresy from the pulpit. No, I'm going to give you scripture. Just stay with me. But he, didn't he preach what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 4 verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. Why? Because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus says, the purpose of why I'm here is for the kingdom. Are you with me? The purpose of why I'm here, I must go. I must go what? I must go preach the kingdom of God. The, another scripture says that it's God's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom, the outlying theme and the original intention of God was what? Was kingdom, hear me, in the kingdom of heaven, in heaven, there's no lack. There's no insufficiency. There's no weakness, there's no sickness, there's no infirmity, there's no disease, there's no stress, there's no worry. It's the place of perfection. So when God says, I'm coming to give you a kingdom, everything that is associated with the kingdom is what he wants to give you. Are you understanding me this morning? So nothing that we receive, hear me, every miracle that you see in the word of God is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth. Because there's no death in heaven. That's why when Jesus came onto the scene, what happened? Poof. He could raise Lazarus from the dead. There's no sickness in heaven. So when he comes on the scene and the sick come to him, what? He lays hands on them and what happens? They are healed. Because it's opposing cultures. There's no lack. That's why Jesus says, how am I going to pay a taxi? Yeah, go catch a fish. And the first fish, there's a coin in his mouth. I know many of us are going to go to the fishing ponds today, but don't worry. 
But I'm just saying, there was no lack, there was no insufficiency. The complete culture of heaven, when you see a miracle come into play, it's what? It's heaven clashing and overpowering and having dominion over any system that is in the earth. And that's the critical factor that we need to understand is that when we come, when you get born again, when you get saved, it's for what? It's for kingdom. Amen? And so that's what I want to deal with this morning. That's the life that God has promised. He says, I come to give you life. Life in abundance till the full, until it overflows. That's John chapter 10, verse 10. That's speaking of kingdom life. Amen. Amen. That is speaking of kingdom life, a life of dominion, a life of overcoming. Are you with me? A life of wisdom, a life of favor, a life of doors being opened to you, a life where you have divine healing in your body. Hear me, I don't care about COVID-19 because I'm a kingdom citizen. COVID cannot touch or affect my body. Why? Because it's got to mess with heaven when it tries to mess with me. Amen. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 to 19. Praise the Lord. And we're going to read it in the Amplified. You'll see now there's no coincidence why the word is also called kingdom life because we're going to deal with the power of the church. Amen. Matthew 16, 13 tonight, it says, Now when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? You can go. And they answered, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you yourself say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood, men, have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, which is Greek for Petros. On this rock, Petra, huge rock, we're going to come back to it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail or overpower it to be strong, to its detriment or hold out against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind declare to be improper and unlawful on the earth must be what is already bound where? That's the kingdom. And whatever you lose declare lawful on the earth must be what is already loosed where? In the kingdom. Are you with me? Okay, there we're going to end right there. He says, this, he says, who, he starts to question, he says, who do you, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Hear me, there was nothing inside of them that knew who he was. They did not know, they had no clue, hear me. They maybe had an inkling or a slight little thought, but they did not have the clue. The answers that they gave, that the people gave were not bad answers. I think most of us would have given the same answer. It's an educated guess. Because at the end of the day, when they say, either prophets, I'm Elijah, or whatever it is, why? They were looking at his ministry because he was, he was what? He was, he was performing miracles wherever he went, but miracles weren't new to them as a people. Elijah, he stopped the weather. Jesus quieted the storm. Elisha raised people from the dead. In fact, when Elisha was dead and buried in his grave, when they threw somebody in his grave and they touched his bones, that person came to life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Amen. Elisha had the ability, well, not the ability, the anointing was upon him, to multiply the oil. Jesus multiplied the five loaves and the two fish. Moses split, Moses, what he called, water to come forth from where? From a rock. Jesus turned water into wine. So their answers were educated in terms of saying that this is a prophet, but they were natural. 
Are you understanding me this morning? They were natural answers based upon what they saw. But somebody had to receive a revelation in order to truly identify who Christ was. In order to truly see him, yeah, I mean, because the Christ, what we, we look at it, and because we have, we, have, we have hindsight. We can read the Bible and say, ah, why would these people not have faith? Ah, can't they see this is Jesus? But if you're walking there in the day, you know what I mean? It's a totally different experience. We have hindsight now that we can see and say, ah, but why didn't they know? But think about it. Yeah, God releases that word in Genesis chapter 3. That's almost 4,000 years before. To say I'm going to send the seed generation after generation after generation after generation, and I can go on for 4,000 years. They were waiting for the manifestation of that word in their nation. Then in the Psalms, David starts to prophesy that there's one coming. All the prophecies that were recorded in the book of the prophets. How many prophecies are recorded about this Messiah, this king that's going to come, he's going to change things, he's going to restore, he's going to, you are you with me? The government's going to be upon his shoulders. Powerful prophecies. And then after Malachi, there's quiet for 400 years. And John then comes onto the scene. And now this Jesus comes into the scene. You tell me that you're going to say he's the Messiah. I don't think so. But Peter got a revelation. He got a revelation. Jesus says, flesh and blood is not revealed this to you. You could have asked anybody that you wanted to, but you'd never have gotten the reality of who I am. God, heaven, itself had to release the revelation to him, to give him insight into who he was. And the reason why I'm laying this so thick is because I want you to understand what Jesus is about to say next was in one of the moments, the most intense, critical, monumental moments in his ministry with his leadership. It's the day they recognized why he was here. So what he says next, we can't take lightly. Amen. So he says, if you can go to the King James of that same scripture as a brief. No, okay, go back to 13. Go to 16. He says, Simon Peter Hardy said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, think about this, and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here we go. And I say to you that you are Peter, which is Petros, which he speaks of little stone. And on this rock, which is Petra, which is large, boulder, mountain kind of rock, I will build. So, you know, some people say that the church was built upon Peter. It's not true. It says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want to break down something because Jesus gives us a pattern for progression. He gives us a pattern for progression. He first gives us says, the rock, then he says build, and then he says church. If you have understanding and, the, and if you have the understanding and the application of these three in your life, then you will experience what's to come next. Go to the next scripture. Don't take it away. Verse 18. Go to verse 18. Church, and he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So he says, when you understand the rock, when you understand build, when you understand church, the pattern of progression, you will walk into a place of where the gates of hell shall not prevail. No demonic system, no satanic assault, not even the grave can stop you from achieving what God wants to achieve through your life. Go to the next one. 
Next, he says, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Gives you keys. It's authority. He speaks of a divine authority that's back in the hand of mankind. When Jesus went to go strip him, he stripped him and took back the authority. Are you with me? And he says, I'll give you keys that whatever you open, whatever you close, according to what is open and closed in heaven, will be established in the earth. God says, this life of power that I've established for every believer, when you get these three right and and, and follow the pattern of progression pertaining to these three, you will walk into the life that is promised you here. There is no one in this house or in any church, as a matter of fact, that should not be able to perform this in any way. There is no one. This was the design, the divine design of God. Are you with me? So if we're not receiving the results, then we must take a step back and say, what are we missing in between? Are you understanding me this morning? Albert Einstein said is the, the height of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. We can't live our lives the same way over and over and over and over and ask God, why is this thing not happening? No, the outcome is already set. Are you with me? As we take a step back this morning and follow the pattern of progression, I believe we're going to come into all that God has got for us in this next season of our lives. Amen. So let's go first. Rock. Rock deals with revelation. It deals with what? Him being the Christ. So he says he, that he is the Christ, the seed, the one that's coming to crush the enemy and strip him from his power. Jesus, the Bible says, is our high priest. He did not only make the perfect sacrifice, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was able to reconcile us back to God. He fixed everything in our relationship with God. As a high priest, he paid the price. He made sure that we are now righteous before God. Amen. When you have a revelation of the Christ, you understand that who you are in relation to God. You know that you are the righteousness of God. Now I can come boldly into the throne room of grace to obtain mercy for my faults and grace to help me in my time of need. Because of me? No, because of him. My priest paid the price. I'm in right standing with God, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Amen. As our king, he went into the depths of hell, took the keys to death, stripped the devil, made a public spectacle of him before every spiritual being in the heavenly places. They saw this day. In the old days when they used to go to war and they used to, to, to defeat another kingdom, they used to strip them naked, the king. And they used to walk him through their city to, to make them ashamed. So people can see we overpower these people. We stripped them of everything that they possess and own. We took everything from them and we are shaming them today. He did that. Every angel and every demonic force must have seen it on that day. That here comes this king. Here, yeah, here comes this king. He stripped him of voice. But that's why he says, don't worry about the enemy. He's got no power to hurt you. I've stripped him of everything. He cannot mess with your life only to the degree that you allow him. He cannot mess with your life. Are you with me this morning? He completely stripped him of his power. As a king, he came to take back the keys. As a king, he came to reestablish the kingdom. As a king, he came to take back dominion. So now we can have dominion. We can have authority because our king did it 2,000 years ago. So he strips him. And this has got to be our foundation as a born-again believer. This is the starting point. Are you with me? The Bible says all the promises are yes and amen way. In Christ. And when I step into Christ, I have a full life. I'm in right standing with God. Every promise is yes and amen. And the mandate of kingdom dominion is back in my life. 
Second Corinthians 5 or 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Some versions say a new creature, a new being, something that you've never seen before. First Peter 1 verse 23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. He says, you're born again from a seed that's not from here. You're not born of a natural seed. Are you with me? You're not born of a natural seed. You're born of God's seed. Because the Bible says the word of God is God. So if you're born again of the, of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, you're born again of what? Of God's seed. That means the day that you receive Jesus Christ, everything changes. But hear me, you needed a revelation just like Peter to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Somebody had to preach a word. You heard about Jesus before. I know I did. But the day that they said something or preached, I can't even remember what pastor they preached that day. I just knew I had to put up my hand against it because I knew Jesus was the Messiah. Blessed are you, Brian, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, so the day you get the revelation of Christ and receive him is the day that everything that Christ stands for is established on the inside of you. Nothing missing, nothing broken, every form of healing, provision, peace, prosperity, everything that you need for your life in day one is fulfilled in that step and that decision that you made. In day one, that's why you must have a revelation of who he is in your life. Because he shifted you completely. You're a new creature. That's why he says old things have passed away because the old is associated with the other creature. It's not mutation. Not like superior stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's not about mutation. It's about a brand new being. You see, if you mutated, then the mutation would still keep the old with the new and give you special powers of the new, but they can still identify the past with you. You know what I'm saying? But if you knew, then that's not me. You can't look there because that's not me. That's not associated with me anymore because I'm a new creature. I'm brand new. The day you received Jesus Christ, you became brand new. Hear me. That's why it says, I can remember your sin no more. Not because God is doff. Because it's not associated with the new. Amen. So number one is, yes, you must be saved. Yes, you must know that you're eternally going to be with God. The Father. Yes, you must know that if you had to die on this earth, you're going to go to heaven. Yes, but you're going to come back here anyway, but then we're not going to deal with it now. But the reality is that many people have stayed just there. When God is calling you to progress. We've made it about that, but that's only the, 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 the means to the end. Are you with me this morning? God's design and desires for you to express what is put inside of you in Christ Jesus, so that can be manifested in your life. In the, are you with me? In the kingdom of God. That's why he says you must be fruitful from what? From the seed of Christ that's in you. He says this is how people will know. Are you with me? They'll glory, give me glory. Why? Because when they see that you bear the fruit of that seed in you. Amen. So number one is Christ. Number two is bold. And this is where it gets, a, uh, not, yeah, it's bold. 
This word build, when you take it back into the Greek, it's rooted in the word oikos, which in Greek has three distinct meanings. It means family, a family's property, so in essence, inheritance, lineage, and finally, to relate to a household or a house. Are you with me? So it speaks about when Jesus says build, he wasn't talking about uh, brick and mortar. He was referring to, I'm going to establish a lineage. Think about it. Upon this rock, which is the revelation of Christ, which me now being a partaker of that seed, has changed my identity and made me a new creature, made in the image and the likeness of God. But it brings me into the family of God. Hear me, it brings me into the family of God. My lineage is forever changed. Are you with me? My lineage is forever changed. That's why curses that are associated with your old name cannot come into the new. Because that's not me anymore. I don't associate with Malay anymore. In that perspective, I associate with Christ. Because that's me. Are you with me? So any demonic stronghold that is left in my past, in the old lineage, cannot come into the new unless I allow it to. But it's not a part of my new lineage. I'm found in Christ. Amen. So he says, I've come to do what? I've come to reestablish the family. When you go back, to, you don't have to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. It was his offspring. He created family first. So Jesus says, I've come to change things, and the first thing I'm going to do is make family. Are you with me? The first thing I'm going to do is make family. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So being saved is not just dealing with your sin. It's not just making you righteous. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. And yes, that's a part, part, it's part and parcel of it. But the key is that I become a child of God. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17 says, For you did not receive the bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And if indeed we suffer with him, that you may also be glorified. He says what? The Spirit of God identifies with your spirit, that you are a child of God. When you come into family, you come into identity. You see, relationships reduce identity. Are you with me? I'm married to Aaron. So some people don't know my name, but they'll just know that that's Aaron's husband. I better also know that I'm Eden's husband. <laughs> Amen. Amen. When people see my children, what do they say? That's Judah and Israel's dad. They might not know my name. When people see me walk with Apostle Max into different places of ministry, they say, no, that's his son in the ministry. It's identity. When I come into the kingdom of God, my father is the most high. Hear me. When you know that, when you understand who God is and who He is to you, it changes the game completely. You see, many people are stuck by being saved, but they don't understand they got a Father in heaven. When I learned that principle, when the Apostle shared it with me, he was teaching me when young, long, long, long time ago. When I got that understanding, I started to change my prayers and I called God Daddy. Purposefully. 
purposefully. Why? Because I wanted to have that embrace. I wanted to see him in that way. That's when he says in Romans chapter, he says, Abba. That's a term of endearment pertaining. It's not our father. You know, if my son must come to me, oh, father, father, am I allowed to have with a slice of bread? You know what I'm saying? I think it was once my son came to me and he was so scared or something. I, don't, I can't remember the situation. But he was saying, and I said, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I said, don't ever come to me like this. I said, you're my son. Do you understand that? That is going to change the fact that you're my child. If you did something wrong, fine. If you must get a hiding, fine. You know what I'm saying? I still love you. This was no issue. Don't be scared. You, you get what I'm trying to say? But don't, I said, don't ever come like that into my presence again because you're my son. You're my child. I love you and I'll never stop loving you. But don't ever come to me like that again. It irritated me. Now imagine. Imagine. Oh, Father, that thou mightest show. We must be grateful that God is love. Amen. If that is my child, it'll be a problem right there. But you understand what I'm saying? It's an identity issue. It's because we don't associate ourselves as children of the Most High God. Hear me, it will change everything about your life. My children have a confidence that they have because they know. I say, anybody mess with you, my son? You say your daddy's coming. I don't care what people, you say your daddy's coming. I'll sort it out. You don't have to fight. I'm coming. Anybody says anything, I'm coming. They know. I think my one child, when they were in, um, in preschool or something like that, they were doing something for Santa Claus, and I already told my children there's no Santa. <laughs> Went a little south. Because when they were told to write a letter to Santa, he said, there ain't no Santa Claus. <laughs> and uh, some of the children obviously did not have that revelation. So some of them were weeping, and the teacher's like, no, no. And he's like, no, my daddy said, there's no center. What was his confidence? Not in him, in me. Because my dad said so. Hear me, if your father says that you are healed, huh, then why are you accepting the lie of somebody else? If your father says that you are made to prosper, why are you accepting the lie of somebody else? If your father says that I am with you, I will never leave you, never forsake you, why are you fearful? Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Come on. It's because we need to be rooted in this revelation. What? He's my father. I'm in a new family. I'm no longer the same. I'm a new creature, but I have a daddy in heaven that's going to take care of me. He says, you worried about all these things, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. He says, and he takes care of the birds. Are you not, not much more value than they? Why? Because that's my child. That's my boy. I had to remind myself of that this morning before I came up to preach. I said, no, but you're my boy. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Changes the game. Why? Because my identity is not associated with me anymore. It's associated with Him. So when God comes to restore family, it's to change your identity. And this is where many people are failing. And many, I'm going to say failing, struggling. 90% of what you see as challenges or issues that people are dealing with, it's identity issues. And the enemy will always try and associate you with your past. Always. But remember that thing you did there before? No, that's a dead man. That's not me. 
as an old creature. You know what I'm saying? I'm a new creation. No, that thing that you, no, 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 no. That's an old creature. I'm a new creation. Are you with me? You've got to remind yourself who you are. When you walk in that boardroom, when you walk in that office, when you walk in that place, I'm a child of God. And when I come in here, my daddy is with me. I'm not alone. I don't care who tries to persecute me or who tries to come up against me. The reality is that God is with me. He's in me. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. And my father is with me to make sure I always come out on top. Amen. So you must understand the rock, the revelation, Christ. Then you deal with bold, which is family. It's your identity. It's who you are. Stop treating yourself less than what God, is treat, uh, God wants to treat you. Stop seeing yourself less than the way God sees you. Amen. Hopefully I'm going to have enough time to come back to family, but I need to get to church. This is where we can, we need the Lord here. Amen. Because this is where the enemies worked over and over, over centuries, over centuries, over centuries, over centuries, over centuries, to mess with this one thing the church. The most powerful institution in the earth is the church. And I'm not just saying this to say something nice. It's true. And I'm going to show you in scripture. You see, even when King James had to convert the word in the Greek and the Aramaic in the Bible in the New Testament church into English, he told him to change the meaning of the word to a place of worship. When we say the word church, we don't say the word, we, we don't have a reference to ecclesia. When we say church, it comes from the German word kirsch, which means place of worship. Where Christians, Christians come together in their religious activity to worship their God. That's the definition of kirsch. So when you say church, and I say church before today. That's what we were meaning. A place of worship. But when you go back into the word of God and you understand what Jesus was saying, it was something totally different. Jesus used the word ecclesia. And hear me, Jesus never made this word. It was not his word. Are you hearing me? Jesus never made the word ecclesia. Ecclesia was already in the earth. Ecclesia was already in the earth. He didn't make the word ecclesia. It was already in the earth. He used it. As a reference point for what he was come to do. That's why I didn't say I'm coming to make an ecclesia. I'm not coming to build an ecclesia. He says I'm coming to build my ecclesia. Are you with me? Because I can say I'm going to build a phone. That means nobody else has a phone. But if I say I'm going to build my phone, it means that there's other kinds of phones out there. Are you understanding me? So when he says I've come to build my ecclesia, there was already a reference point of the ecclesia in the earth. And what was the main reference at that point? It was Rome. And the Roman Empire was in power at the time that Jesus was on the scene. Every other kingdom, massive kingdom before them, the Greeks and all those other people that came before, what they would do is they would go into a place, strip the place of all its resources, destroy the place, take all the people and make them slaves. Rome comes onto the sea and says, no, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to get dedicated senates. We're going to create local governments. Local assemblies. And we're going to send them out into various places of the earth. We're going to overtake them, overpower them. And then we're going to send the local assembly in there. And they're going to make that place like this place. And Caesar ruled the world without ever leaving Rome. 
It's God's intention. Because the Father is where? In heaven. Our Father who art in? Yeah. God's intention is to rule the earth from there. So when Caesar sends out these senates and these local governments, these local assemblies, he's sending out what they called in their day an ecclesia. It's a sent out assembly, a sent out party that was a legislative assembly in a city or a community. Their role was to ensure the policies, the rules, the regulations, and the culture of Rome was enforced through administration, governmental administration in a place. That's why they say, when in Rome, yeah, where did it come from? Because wherever you went, their empire stood for 200 years. One of the longest empires ever because of the model that they used. And when Jesus comes into the scene, he says, I will build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my local governmental assembly for the earth. That will be a representation of what? Of heaven. Are you with me this morning? So when you're dealing with the word church and the word ecclesia, you're not dealing with a place of worship. You're dealing with a governmental assembly. So when we come here today, and I'm teaching you today, the Bible says my responsibility as part of the fivefold ministry to do what? To teach you to do the work of the ministry. Not to sweep the floors. Not to be an usher. Not to be a counselor. That's what you do in your house. This must be your ace. Are you understanding me? My child, don't get special privileges because he made up his bed. No, this is your house. If somebody comes here and this place looks like a mess, who's it representing? It's us. If somebody comes to Kingdom Life and they have a poor experience, whose responsibility is it? It's ours. Why is our house? Are you understanding me? So we're not coming. I'm not training you to be an usher. Some of you need to ask because you need to learn faithfulness. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. But when you come here, it's to teach you about what? It's who you are. Who's your father? And what has God mandated you to do? What area or sphere of influence, what territory are you called to infiltrate for the kingdom of God? That's God's design. But if you see this incorrectly, it's going to create a challenge for you. If you see the church as incorrect, it's going to create a serious challenge because what's going to happen is you're going to come and stand up against the enemy in a place with the backing of a religious institution and you're going to go up against another kingdom and you're going to make yourself short. Because you'll have a form of godliness with no power. But I mean, I'm standing in my governmental jurisdiction. You know when MPs and those kind of people come into a place, you move. Have you seen when government officials come? You see they even come with escorts. When they come into place, you move. You can't stand in their way. Why? Because they're representing something else. Are you understanding me this morning? So when we come into this place, we're not coming here for what? I just want to get into the presence of the Lord. Do you know that the fullness of the God is on the inside of you? Wherever you are, there is the presence of the Lord. I'm going to the place where Christians go. I didn't know I'm a Christian. I'm a citizen. You may define me as a Christian, but I'm a citizen. Amen. I'm a son of the most high God. I'm walking in my dominion power mandate from heaven. You can't define me by your religious terms and your religious words. I will allow it if I don't have the right perspective of the church. 
So the church was set up when, even if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, church was there. Why? Adam was called to set up the first local assembly. What? Governmental assembly. God says, you have dominion. Take what's here, set up an assembly in the earth, set up a government in the earth, and that government's going to rule from this laws, this statutes, this culture, this regulations, and make it happen in the earth, and take it all over the earth, and make this earth look like this. That was his mandate. It was governmental. Are you with me? So when you're dealing with the church, how can you separate the church and state? Are you, are you with me this morning? There's certain things that have been implemented in our midst, but because we don't understand who we are, we've allowed it as a people. And so when I say we're the most powerful institution in the world, it's because of this reason. You can determine what happens in your community because whatever you bind or lose. See, when we come together, we just come to the embassy or a diplomatic center. The church is not the building. This is not the ecclesia. Amen. We are the ecclesia. Wherever you go, whatever sphere of influence that you've been sent into becomes your territory for you to have dominion over. So when you're dealing with the church and we're dealing with the ecclesia, you have to get a different perspective of who we are. Are you with me this morning? I know this is quite a bit to absorb. Because the challenge is, even when I think of church at times, I've got to remind myself that that's not church. That's not God's intention. God's intention was not a place of worship. There's nothing wrong with worship. But he didn't call us together for a place of worship. It's to legislate. When we come together, it's to, that's why praise on the water is so powerful. What are you doing? you legislating. you binding and loosing according to what is bound in heaven and what is loosed in heaven. Amen. Are you with me this morning? So God gives, hear me, God gives the, 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 the church, the ecclesia, puts it in the earth, and it has one head, and that head is Jesus. Are you with me? But Jesus has branches. Because if you look even, if I take an example, if you look at the states, they have Washington, they have the White House, and that's the, where the federal government is. Then each state, because it's so big, has its own government, local government, you're with me. They have their own government, they either can be Republican or Democratic or whatever it is. They have a Senate that's there. But the federal government in each state has a federal building. And in that federal building is their governmental officials. Not associated with the state, but to fulfill the mandates and the laws from head office, which is in Washington. So when Jesus comes into the scene and establishes the ecclesia, when, hear me, an ecclesia is what? Sent out ones who legislate. Are you with me? So when he sends out an apostle, which means what? A sent out one. Same terms. He puts what? He puts a vision. Something to burden the man. That is called to do what? To effect and enforce the kingdom in that region, whether it's spiritual or geographical. So it's strategic. It's not just all willingly. When people say, you're going to start a church, I'm like, oh, you keep that to yourself. Because you don't understand what it means. It's not just about me coming to clap hands. It's about what has God said, what has God mandated for that place in order to reinforce and to enforce the kingdom of God in that space. Are you understanding? It's not just so willingly that we come together. No, you must be burdened with something. And that burden is according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 20. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him as 
that's no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation all things are passed away build all things are becoming no now all things are of God listen who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of what reconciliation that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing the trespass to them. I just want to say the ministry is what? A ministry of reconciliation. First to draw us back to God and then for us to fulfill what God has called us to fulfill. So any church that has a vision that does not reach people or change people's lives or the kingdom culture, I'm not going to finish the sentence. Are you understanding me? Because even your personal vision, if it's only about you and doesn't affect people, it's not kingdom. Because there's no reconciliation in there. Everything that God will call you to do, every territory that you tell you to take over, if people are not the end goal of your mind, if you are not focusing on getting people reconciled to God and to the kingdom of God, it's not of God. It's self-serving. Are you understanding me? It's not kingdom. So if the church... You can name the vision what everyone, you can have a vision statement, a mission statement. If the end goal of that thing is not to get people to be reconciled to God and to fulfill the kingdom mandate, then it's a different story. Are you understanding me? Re raising, repositioning, and releasing sons and daughters for kingdom dominion. Are you understanding me? So it starts there. So when God births a vision inside of a visionary, and not necessarily, let's not use the word a visionary, let's use the word an apostolic leader. When God sends somebody out as a branch to establish a federal, a federal assembly, are you with me? In a geographical location or a spiritual location, he says, I'm sending you there with this vision. The outcome of that vision is to reconcile people. That's why Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, What? The King James says, where there is no vision, the people perish, perish, but he keeps the Lord, he's happy. Then Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast of restraint. It says, where there is no vision. When there is no vision in a place, then the world is running the way that they are. If your community is stuck, struggling under social ills of poverty, drug addiction, teenage pregnancy, it's because you haven't taken what's here there. Come on. Let's be honest this morning. It's because you haven't fulfilled your kingdom mandate. You're looking for provision, but in the kingdom, all these things are added. So when we come together, hear me, God will give vision to one, and he'll work it. How much minutes have I got left? I see Warren Murray there. Okay, praise the Lord. You know when you see him, then you know something's happening. So, I'm almost done. He says, God give, will give the vision to one, but he'll work it out through many. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 1 to 10, I'm going to read very quickly. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And indeed, I have anointed and appointed with him that guy's name, the son of that guy, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in their hearts of all the gifted artisans, and that they will make all that I have commanded you the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat. And if you go on, he speaks about how he's anointed them to do what, what God put in his heart to do. God gave one person the vision. 
He says, now what you build here, you build exactly like you've seen it here there. Moses never built one thing. His anointing wasn't to build. His anointing was to make sure you're building the way God said to build. But the people were anointed to build. If the anointing of God has not been released upon your life, then I come to say to you today, is it not possible that you haven't connected with the vision the way you're supposed to? Maybe, just maybe. Are there gifts, wisdom, understandings that is locked up on the inside of you that has not been released yet because of a disconnect with the vision that God has placed in your midst? Now, if this is not your house, I fully understand. But if God's called you here, it's for kingdom purpose, not to hear a nice word. It's not to come and clap your hands and feel better. Now, I know some people come and you come in a different place and people in different spaces and some people need healing and so forth. That's fine. But you can't be here in this place long. Are you with me? And still be going nowhere. It's an indictment to the kingdom of God. Not even this church. To God himself. Because God put himself in you. If you read the previous chapter, God tells him how to do it. He tells Moses, this, that, this size, this thing. Sure, it's intense. That's all he has to remember. That's his responsibility. I must remember this thing. And everybody else will come, and God will anoint him to do what needs to be done, to build what needs to be built. He says he even took up an offering for it here to stop the people. Imagine we do a project. We need da 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 And you say, okay, cool, we got enough money. Stop giving everybody. Please wait. Wait for the next project. Why? Because everybody knows they're playing a part to fulfill the kingdom mandate. And it was the tabernacle that they built, hear me. The tabernacle is not to build the building. Because the vision is not the building. This campus is a vehicle through which the vision must move. Are you understanding? It's going to accommodate what's, what God wants to do. But it isn't the vision. Because we're not going to have one campus. It's not enough. 120 beds. It's not enough, hear me, to do what we need to do. So inside of you are campuses. In, oh, that's very quiet. Inside of you is wealth, in more than enough wealth to build what we need to build. Inside of you is the skills, whether it's education, media, arts and entertainment, government, whatever God is called, inside, it's locked up on the inside of you. And the day you engage, the day it's released. Amen. So if something's not happening in your sphere of influence, it's not the church's problem in terms of this house specific. It's that you didn't take what is here out there. It's you not fulfilling your kingdom mandate. If people are not coming to church or the church is not moving, and let me not use the word church because I don't even want to use that word anymore. But if the campus is not being built and we're not seeing increase here, it's not his responsibility. He said you built like I tell you to build it. And he's been preaching the same thing for 15 years. God has given the revelation to change what, to say, don't use a church model, use a kingdom model. Don't use a pastoral model, use an apostolic model. God's been changing, why? So that he sees the way he must see, but his responsibility is to see. Ours is to build. Ours is to go out and conquer and take over and bring back the spoils and build what needs to be built. And unless we change our perspective, it's not going to change, hear me? If you've got a church old school mindset, you're never going to grow up into what God has called you to be. Because you might be in a season that you're waiting for relief, but God is asking for growth. God just relieved me. Of the, no, God said, no, you grow up. 
There's something God's even in my life personally. He's been giving me relief for 13 years. And when I said, now give me relief in this, he said, I'm not going to. He says, because you haven't changed. I was like, sure. He says, no, you haven't grown. You didn't change in this area, so why must I change it? You grow up. And when you grow up, it will change. So God can provide relief in the wilderness season. But when you come in the promised land, you better plant a different seed. Are you with me this morning? So don't ask God to keep you there because then you're going to die there. There's seasons where you need to get up and say, I need to grow differently in this area because God has given me relief previously, but he's not moving the same way now. Are you understanding me this morning? It's kingdom. It's kingdom. It's time for us to grow up as a people. It's time for us to step up as a people and become all that God has called us to be. Amen. So you might be crying out for relief in an area and God is saying, no, I want you to grow. I want you to grow so that you can see that what's inside of you can change this thing. Because God has placed everything on the inside of each and every one of us. Amen. And now I want to touch very quickly. I've got five minutes left. I just want to turn back to family very quickly because there's three elements I want to touch with when pertaining to a vision, when pertaining to a local assembly and what God wants to do. Number one is in terms of family, we discussed it. You have your Abba. Are you with me? Abba, your father, your daddy in heaven. It gives you your identity. But the reality is that if you don't grow up, you can't walk in what is your allotment and your portion. Are you with me? You can't experience it. If you don't grow up in seasons where God is calling you to grow up, you disqualify yourself from experiencing the fullness of God in your life. You cannot disqualify yourself from the fullness of God in your life, but you can disqualify yourself from experiencing what God has got for you. Why? If you go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master over all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. As long as you remain a child. Apostle said last week, you don't deserve to hear the gospel, of, the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. He spoke of somebody to tell him about how the church never came and they're 20 years a Christian. No, grow up. Grow up and become, because why? You're sitting in the message, you're sitting with why? Because you're not expressing what God has given you because you're not growing up into what God has placed inside of you. It's a season of growth. The Lord says, why must I pour the new when you didn't change the wineskin? If I pour the new, I'm going to waste both. So until you change, I can pour the new because the new is waiting. Are you understanding me? The next level, hear me? I don't care what it looks like out in the world. I don't care. I don't, I'm not saying this in, the, in, in, a, in a bad way. Maybe care is not the right word. I'm not phased by the economic instability that we're seeing. I'm not phased by the, the pandemic and stuff like that. Why? Because I'm not from here. I'm not from here. And if that problem is so great, then something inside of me is far greater. Are you with me? But I've got to grow up in that thing. The church should be taking the lead. Not, not, not place of worship, the ecclesia. They must look to us to solutions and say, how do we solve this problem? No, in this problem, there's somebody that's anointed here in this house to answer that problem because it's part of the apostolic vision. Klar. If it's health, call that person. Education, call that person. Oh, you get what I'm saying? That's how it should be in this place. So when you choose to grow up, it's when things will change in your life. And it's not change happens whether you like it or not, but change is not necessarily growth. 
Are you understanding me? Change not necessarily growth. Because you can have a body that's changed into a 40-year-old man, but still have a 15-year-old boy in that 40-year-old body. Because there was no growth. Are you understanding me this morning? So it's not just about change. Change, change is inevitable. But growth isn't. Growth is a choice. So number one is Abba. It's your Father in heaven. It's that relationship. You've got to establish it. You've got to place it. Uh, correctly, and you've got to grow up in the things of God. Then number two, he gives you a spiritual family, because everybody's now your brother and sister. Amen. We're all brothers and sisters, because we come out of one, Christ. Are you with me? But God will gather brothers and sisters in a specific tribe to accomplish a specific work as an extension of the kingdom of God. So if you look at the Old Testament model, you have Israel, and Israel has 12 sons. And they form the tribes of Israel. If you read in Genesis chapter 49, you see that each tribe had its own grace and own anointing to do what? To accomplish the same thing. So even though you have the ecclesia, each tribe has its own space. Are you with me? And each tribe has its own grace to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Judah, the Bible says that Judah, the scepter, meaning the, 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 the kingship, the throne, will never leave your hand. Where did Jesus come out of? Judah. It will never leave. He says, that's the anointing. He says, your brothers will forever praise you. Jo Joseph, he says, you'll be a fruitful bow. That was the anointing, the grace upon that place. You must know the grace that's on this place, on this tribe, for what God has called you to do. Amen. Are you with me this morning? And here's the thing I want you to understand, that this is government. So it's not like God moves, going to do something special for Pastor Michelle, and they do something special for Jonah, and then, no, there's one way it works. You can't change it. You don't go to government and say, oh, well, maybe you can nowadays, but you can't go to a kingdom and tell them what to do. No. The king says this. The reason why you have democracy is because people don't want to be told. You must all have a say. No, you don't need a say. Just do what God told you to do. Amen. And then the world will be a better place. So, so God, God calls us together to build what he needs us to build. As a spiritual family with a spiritual father and mother. That's the only model that sonship works in. It's an apostolic vision that deploys sons and daughters to fulfill a kingdom mandate. Outside of that, you cannot because a pastoral model will just gather people and get you to build a nice building. But have no effect outside of the building. An apostolic vision will say, I need to send people. Who's, who's made for, for, for health? Who's made for education? Who's made it? And the training, the development stuff must go in and be attached to that person. Why? To go and take over there. Because is it the, 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 the fivefold responsibility to go and fetch people to come to church? No, I'm not in your sphere of influence. You must take ecclesia there. You must manifest kingdom there. Are you with me this morning? I must touch on this one. Why don't I see you there? John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. I just want to touch on one thing very quickly. One of the most challenging places that you'll find in any place, any place where people come to get these relationships. Jesus defined his church. Listen to this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you, uh, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, by this, <laughs> all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. He says, not by the miracles you perform. Because in Egypt, there was a dark side and a light side. Moses could do and their sorcerers could do. So it's not about the power only, it's about the love. 
It's easier to love people outside of the church than it is to love your own brothers and sisters. I can see many people going, Jesu. It's the truth. It's easier to love outside than to love inside. But it says, by the love you have for one for another, that will show them that you belong to me. So I eat you with another girl, boy. The Lord is dealing with me. The relationships in the season. But he says, he says, he, he, he relates your marriage to Christ's love for the church. So when somebody looks at your marriage, do they see how much Jesus loves the church? When somebody looks at your marriage, when somebody looks into your life and they look at your marriage, they say, sure, I can actually see how much Jesus loves his church when I look at these people. When, 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 if somebody must look into this house, can they say, sure, these people love each other, man. This can only be Jesus. You see, the enemy will do anything to separate us. That's why there's demonization, I mean, denominations. Is that on live stream? Why? I don't belong to, you know, what church Pentecostal charismatic? No, I'm from the kingdom. What, where you a member, I'm not a member, I'm a citizen. And you know, it's hard for us to say that. Because you've been so indoctrinated to say it a certain way. But those things are just divisions. Where God needs unity for us to do what God has called us to do. Last one, I promise. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. I must end with this. And I just want to deal with your biological family. The importance of families within a ministry. This when Nehemiah had to build a wall in Jerusalem. It says that for more than half a century, they could not build that walls after they built the temple. That means they fixed up the temple, but they couldn't build the walls of the city for more than 50 years. God calls Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes burdened with a vision. He goes to build what he needs to build, right? The enemy is coming up against him. He needs to finish the work. He's got the resources for the work, but look what he does. He says, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening there. So somebody's come to tell him now what's happening with the enemy. He says, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The worship can come up. The Jews who lived nearby, the, near, the, near the enemy came and told us again and again. So they come and tell Nehemiah, this is what's happening. They're going to come up against you. They're going to swoop down you. They're going to take you out. If they will come from all directions and attack us. So he says, what? So I placed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and in, in the exposed areas. And I stationed what? The people to stand guard by? Families. When they pulled the families together, they built it in 52 days. Some that stood still for 50 years. The smallest denomination in any nation, in any city, in any community is family. When we're chasing the big stuff, the enemy is going after the family. Because he knows if I destroy the smallest component or denomination of any community, I destroy the bigger picture. You have child-headed households, you have fathers that have left, you have divorced relationships and all those kinds. This is not about condemnation. What I'm saying to you is it's the plan of the enemy. Why? Because a nation that has got no strong family structure cannot build anything and neither can any ecclesia. You need to integrate your children into the vision and not bring them to church. You know, the powerful thing about what changes is that we bring youngsters in here. And God does something so deep in their lives. The reality is that when they grow up, 
there's a new, there's a new beginning for their lineage. Because it doesn't matter what happened before. And so sometimes God has got to start with the next generation because the previous one didn't want to listen. When they're going to the promised land, the Bible says that God raised their sons in the wilderness to take over the place of promise. You have to start with another generation. Don't let your children, my children, start with a deficit. Integrate your family into the vision. Don't bring them to church and to Sunday school. Start, you know, God is challenging me with this. And saying, start to teach them what you know about the house of God. Start to get them to understand what it means to serve, to sow, to build, to establish kingdom. Because don't just bring them here. It's not good enough. You hear me? It's not good enough. For what God wants to do in and through our lives, look at where the world is today. It should clearly show what's required from the ecclesia. Apostle said something a couple of months, uh, weeks ago. He says, fathers, go back home. Go back home. Go and fix up what you need to fix up. Go and build what you need to build because the reality is you need to integrate your family into this place. Why? So that they will not perish. Don't let the world educate your children. It's time. Hear me, people. As we approach this thing the way God wants us to approach it. As we understand it, the way, I, I don't have all the revelation, please hear me. I'm studying more and more and more because this thing is just hitting me harder and harder and harder. And I'm asking God to give me understanding around this because when we see it right, it's going to change everything. When we understand the power of a local assembly, an agency in the earth, coming to represent heaven to the people, when we understand that we're going to do things that people have never seen before, that's why Jesus says, greater things will you do. Not only what I did, but greater will you do. Why? When we come together and do what God has called us to do, I implore you, even in your prayer this week, say, Dad, help me to see this thing differently. Help me to understand church differently. Help me to understand this model, this kingdom model, this government model that you've placed in my midst, that you've called me to be a part of. Help me to see it the way that I need to see it so that I can live the way you designed me to live. The full expression of your life and your life's purpose is founded when you connect it to a heavenly vision. You see, every vision that is given to every apostolic house comes from the purpose of the kingdom. If it's detached from that, we don't even need to be having this discussion right now. But the reality is that this is where your life is. This is where life is. God puts a place like this in place for your life so that you will not perish. And it's not just, hear me, Rosie said to me, it's easy to build vision and to build relationship, but you need both. Because the vision will always give itself back to you. Amen? But relationships, some people might not. Are you with me? That's our season, hear me. As a church, as an ecclesia, as a local governmental assembly, people that are sent out to accomplish the kingdom of God in the earth. It's our moment, it's our time, and I know God has set it and ordained it. Wherever you need to grow, just grow. Wherever God is challenging you, let Him challenge you, it's fine. Hear me, there's grace for that growth. You're not called to do it by yourself, but when I take responsibility for it, God releases the grace for me to be empowered to do it. Amen.
Father, we come before you today and we're so grateful that you place the kingdom church, a kingdom ecclesia in our midst, Father. And as we're still discovering, Father God, and walking this journey with you in the kingdom of God, I thank you, Lord God, that you've kept us, you've held us, you've revealed to us what we've needed in each and every season. And so, Father, I pray over each and every family, each and every person that's connected in this house, that's connected via live stream. I pray for their lives today, Father God. I pray for their eyes today, Father. I pray they'll see things according to the way that you see it, myself included, Dad. That we can live this life according to your design, your pattern, and your plan. I thank you for Kingdom Life Embassy, Father. I thank you for this branch, this local assembly, Father. And I thank you, Lord God, that the vision is to reconcile your people, Father God, in the end. I pray that in this season that the anointing of God, the gifts, the callings, the connections to this vision, Father God, will be stirred, enlightened, and brought to the front. I thank you that people start to run in the direction that you call them to run, Father God, breaking off every shackle, every chain, every weight that's trying to keep them from where you've called them to be, Father. I thank you for a season of taking over territories for your kingdom, for your purpose, that, Father God, your kingdom will be established wherever we go, in Jesus' mighty name. We all agree and say, amen and amen. You may stand this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first stop is the rock. It's the revelation of who He is. That's for you in the sanctuary and for you online. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want this life that God has got in store for you, that's the beginning point. That's the first step. It's to connect with Him. It's to be reconciled back to God. If you don't know Jesus Christ or you once said that prayer, you said, I made that connection, Pastor B, but you know what? Where I am right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, where I am right now, feels so far from near me. The Bible says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. God will never just leave you. If you make a decision today to come closer to God, every head bowed and every eye closed in your own space, if you make that decision to be able to make right with God, he will make right with you immediately. So if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, both here and online, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you once said the sinner's prayer and you know that you need to just make a fresh commitment to God, then I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand very quickly. If you're in here, if you're online, just send us a DM and tell us that. Say, that's me. I need to make a reconnection. If that's you, just lift your hand very quickly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I see your answer. I see your answer. Thank you, Jesus. Right where you are, I want to pray with you. And afterwards, if you can, just please come and have a chat with me, man. I want to pray with you wherever you are. Just every head bowed. I see your hand on that side. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Just say this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe with all my heart that you are the Son of God, that you came down from heaven to this earth. You died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. You rose again three days later so that I can have life. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Come into my heart. Wash me and cleanse me of all my sin and make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen and amen. Come on, give him a round of applause. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. The best decision you can ever make in your life. Amen.
hear me? If that was you, please connect with me after the service. I just want to take a couple of minutes to chat with you, me and some of the leaders. Um, for those that are online, DM us. I made the decision. I made the decision for Jesus to come into my heart. Then we want to pray with you, want to connect with you. We'll find ways to get material to you. So please make sure that you DM us online. Amen. Amen. And then uh, we're going to just take up an offering this morning. Here's the thing. As an agency, a governmental agency that's in a place, everything in the agency doesn't belong to the agency. Everything belongs to the headquarters. Are you with me? We're just a representation. An agency is just a representation of the real that is somewhere else. And so everything that happens in the agency flows through the agency. When you're an agency and you put your hands on somebody to heal the sick, it's not your power, it's the power that comes from heaven, from headquarters. Heaven's power is released and it happens. When you're dealing with provision and favor and stuff in your workplace, what happens? The same thing. It's a release from there through you to be distributed in the world. But the same is true the other way around. When you call to connect to a vision, God puts a tithing system in place, which is basically the kingdom tax. And kingdom tax has been has been audited so well in this kingdom, in this government, that they've never increased the tax. <laughs> Jesus never had to say, sure, you know, you're running out of resources, maybe we're going to go to 15%. Never. It stays 10%. Because tithing is not about the money, it's about the heart. It's what are you connected to? Are you understanding me? What are you connected to? Your giving, hear me, your seed time and your offering and your giving. I don't want to talk about that because that our giving should be, I'm building a wall around the campus. I'm building the camp, I'm building the, the, the accommodation. Are you understanding me? That's the level where we should be at in terms of working with the vision. But your tithe is your basic. It's 101 in the kingdom. It's grade one. Are you understanding me? When you come, the Bible says, don't worry about the things. Focus on the kingdom. All these things shall be taken together and what? And added unto you. If you're struggling to tithe, I know I'm challenging somebody, but just love me this morning. If you're struggling to die, then struggling to give, it means that you're not connected to the kingdom because you have cares and worries. The Bible says in the kingdom's your priority, you'll never want. You'll never have a care. Why? Because you'll take care of everything. Don't focus on money, focus on kingdom. So as you bring your tithe, it's connecting you. It's a declaration in the heavenlies to say, This kingdom is my source and my supply. My Father in heaven takes care of me. And when I sow my seed, when I bring my tithe, when I bring my offering, it's connecting me. Amen. Fathers, you bring our tithes and our offerings into the house this morning. I thank you, Father God. That your word says that you'll open up the windows of heaven to pour such a blessing that you won't have room enough to store it, that you'll leave, rebuke the devour of our sake. And every season, Father, the territories, the lands, and the places that you've called us into will yield their fruit for an abundant harvest. In Jesus' mighty name, I bless the giving now, both online and in the sanctuary. And I decree and declare supernatural favor and increase is their portion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
You may be standing. Let me just release you with a blessing this morning. Father, I thank you that as we go today, Father God, that the empowerment and the anointing of God that is graced upon this house will operate and function on each and every individual. This week, Father God, I declare and declare that you'll show people how to connect, that you'll, Father God, burn inside of them, Father God, the desire to build your kingdom, a desire to connect with the vision of this house, oh God, and do what you call them to do. I pray that their families are blessed, healthy, whole, and kept, Father God. I thank you that wherever they go, Father God, that you are with them. And that, Father God, that wherever you take them, Father God, doors will be open for them in every sphere and every territory that you've assigned to them. I speak the blessing upon them today. I thank you, Lord God, that the anointing of God now makes the difference. And that wherever they go, people will see your goodness being made manifest in them. In Jesus' name, you all agree and say... Amen and amen.